This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. We're right on the cusp of the holiday season, except this year, it doesn't feel much like it. Each day this month, thousands of Americans, record numbers, have tested positive for COVID-19. Even as several vaccines are now on the horizon, many public health authorities have asked Americans not to reunite with extended family over Thanksgiving, requests that will no doubt continue during the Christmas season. Millions of people have already spent hours more inside this year, apart from their loved ones, houses of worship, and favorite activities. While the summer offered many a respite from their homes, the arrival of cold weather will likely keep people there, cabin fever or not. This bleakness, of course, comes on the heels of a year of postponed weddings and never organized baby showers and many drive-by birthday parties. And of course, one of the year's most agonizing elements has been the disparity with which community and individuals have adopted and practiced social distancing and mask wearing. These relationship tensions have had both a personal and societal polarizing effect. So it's really been a lot. We wanted to confront the reality behind the joyous expectations of the holidays and the darkness that we've all been feeling this year. You are listening to Quick to Listen, where we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee, Global Media Manager at Christianity Today. And I'm Ted Olson, Editorial Director at Christianity Today. All right, Ted, it's kind of weird to like give a gut check to kind of like a collective gut check, but <laughs> would you want to speak about your own personal angst or madness or exasperation? So I met with my game group, two buddies of mine that we used to board game fairly frequently every few weeks. We got together over the weekend, masks on, sitting far apart with kind of a frustration of saying, you know, the risk of getting together today after we haven't been together for eight months is probably equivalent if we'd been getting together every three weeks like we had been because, you know, the numbers are you know that much higher. They're exponentially higher than they were before. It was that kind of like, oh, man, you know, now we're entering into this. You know, we got together because we're like, it's, it's not going to get better. Numbers aren't going to get better. So let's let's get together before they get worse and, you know, kind of say hi, catch up play game that kind of articulates a lot of what we've been feeling right now you know it's this kind of like oh yeah that was like covid one and now we're hitting kind of the second season you know that was the first season everything the second season where all the stakes are higher and the dramas you know more cranked up more characters in my story are getting sick i've got a, a friend who has been like easily the most careful people i know about covid like they have social distance from everybody they just got covid and this is definitely one, you know, like Morgan, you and I were talking about like, oh, you're on this move from like a friend of a friend of a friend. And then more recently, it was kind of closer and closer. Now it's, you know, it's it's kind of the constant close friends who are, who are getting COVID. There's a sadness there. There's an anxiety about like, when will it hit me or when will it hit those, those that are, you know, truly closest, my wife, my kids, my, my parents, especially. That is more 
specific than the kind of generalized anxiety that I was feeling five months ago. And then my parents are, you know, I was talking to my parents over the weekend and they're, they're hitting the sadness of, you know, not being able to be with friends, but then also that sadness of, oh, the grandkids aren't going to come visit. When will they come visit? You know, it's going to be, you know, it may, will, will they, will they ever be able to come visit? You know, I mean, obviously ever. Yes. But you know, it's harder to take things one day at a time right now. That's when our gut check is saying like, as you said a minute ago, it's been a lot. How about you? I <laughs> think it's like funny and a very sad way. I'm thinking of like my plans this week. So basically my plans, Ted, constitute going on walks with people. Tonight I'm going to go on a walk with someone. Next night I'm going to go on a walk with someone. The next night I'm going to walk with someone. I had two walks scheduled on Sunday. <laughs> they both got canceled because it was so windy. Which I was like, guys, we can't be this like fragile with the weather if we're going to be in Chicago and get through this. Yeah, there's something about just kind of the stripping back of what you can do. And in many ways, to me at least, it feels like I'm back in March or April. I like keep forgetting that the summer actually happened, that there was a whole other part to this year. It almost feels like it's been continuous since then, at least since the beginning of November when COVID cases really started spiking. Not surprisingly for anyone who listens to this, it's just very hard for me to be in the house that long, especially on days that are really gray and look very unpleasant to be outside in. Yeah, there's a lot of just feeling that sense of being inside, I guess, that I don't know if everyone else feels the same kind of like angst in the same way, driven by not being able to leave the house. Obviously, I think for some people, it's just like the solitude, the loneliness, the lack of routine. This is an interesting Thanksgiving for me. I'm, I, you almost always travel in November, and I'm rarely actually even in the States during November. So this is the first Thanksgiving ever that I don't even have plans, period. Like, not invited to any Thanksgiving things and also not going to go anywhere. So that is an interesting <laughs> way to observe the holiday. I might just make a turkey by myself for the sake of it. Oh, do you feel like your impending move is a release for that? Or do you think it's amping up your kind of sadness and anxiety because there's a lot of people that you're not going to be able to kind of have that kind of final walk with before you move? It definitely puts different stakes on it in the sense of obviously I would love to have a giant party. That would be awesome. No party. Obviously, I'd love to have a small party. No small parties, really. <laughs> Then there is that sense of I really can't get COVID or even get exposed, not from because then I won't be able to just like see people and go forth with my plans. I get, I don't know. Obviously, there's tons of reasons why I wouldn't want to get COVID, but just knowing that it's running up against the timeline of moving about a month from earlier this week, that changes the equation for sure. Who's our guest today to help us work through our feelings? Yeah, well, that was the thing as we, we were talking about, should we have a, you know, we can bring on a psychologist, therapist, and I thought, you know... I've got one of those. It's, they're helpful. But I actually am interested, since this is a Christianity Today podcast, among other things, is to talk about, can we not just feel better, but how can we actually follow Jesus better and enter and help to make sure that we are entering into where Jesus is and, that, and bringing Jesus into where we are in this time? And so someone who has wiser spiritual formation thoughts was what I was looking for for our guest this week. And so we have invited Chris Hall, who I really have appreciated for many years. Chris is president of Renovare, which is the spiritual formation organization started by Richard Foster. He's also associate editor of the Ancient Christian Commentary on Scripture, which University Press has published 
Really great. And has written a great four-volume series of books on what we can learn from the early church. I've read the first three and commend them to you. He was also one of CT's theology editors and advisors. So there are many great Chris Hall articles you should check out in our archives. Chris, welcome back to Christianity Today, and welcome to the Quick to Listen podcast. It's great to be here. Fun to be back with you, Ted, meet Morgan, and just have a chance to talk about some of this stuff. Absolutely. Well, you 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 have great wisdom here. Let's let's kind of start with you've got a lot of expertise in that kind of early church area. I was kind of thinking about that shift that happened in the early church from when Christians felt like they had a unique trouble in the world, right? They they had this kind of feeling that of we are unique folks who are persecuted by by the state and by our neighbors. Even within that, you had plagues, you had suffering, you had you had broad sufferings. The empire starts to be a little bit more friendly to Christians, and Christian suffering is not that different from the suffering of one's neighbors. There's nothing necessarily unique about suffering Christian. I am kind of interested in you know how you view the church wrestling with the question of suffering as Christians because you're Christian and just suffering because you're human in a broken world. I thought maybe I could share a little bit about a couple of folks from the ancient world, folks like the desert dwellers you mentioned, other folks living in first century can help us with. Cyprian was a bishop of the church in the third century. And the third century was a very hard century for human beings in general in the Mediterranean basin and in North Africa, but particularly difficult for the church. And in the last years of Cyprian's life, what Cyprian does for me is he's an example of this kind of perseverance. Now, imagine this. During his time, during the time that he was bishop, the church in his area is being persecuted by the Roman emperor Decius, and it's a horrendous persecution. Families being in prison, Christians being sewn up in bag, bags of snakes and tossed into rivers, crucifixions, beheadings. There's all kinds of nastiness going on that Cyprian's having to deal with to encourage his church, those image bearers he's, he's shepherding, to remain faithful and to be encouraged in this time of, of deep testing. But at the same time, Cyprian has to lead the church in the midst of a terrible plague that breaks out. He's surrounded by people who are suffering from the Roman government, and they're suffering from sickness. He navigated it well by taking things one day at a time and by trusting that what the Lord was offering to him and his particular vocation, what God was asking of him, offering to him, and his vocation was the right and good thing for him. Not, not that the plague was a good thing, and not that the persecution was a good thing, but that the vocation was a good thing, and that the Lord would provide Cyprian with what he needed to carry out his vocation. If Cyprian was sitting around the table with us today, I think he'd say, God will provide what you need to live well before God and with Jesus in the midst of what you're encountering. I think that, in fact, I think that's a message across the history of the church. So one thing that helps me is try to lengthen your historical memory. 
This kind of suffering, this kind of call to perseverance, is nothing new in the history of the church. It's just that we in the States and in our churches in the States have been shielded from it for a long time. And now we're experiencing what a lot of image bearers have experienced you know, throughout the history of the church. The second person I think of is St. John Chrysostom, bishop of the church in Constantinople in the late 4th and early 5th century. Now, he did not himself have to deal with plague on a grand scale like Cyprian did. What John had to deal with, though, was with a church that increasingly opponents within the church that increasingly opposed what he was modeling and what he was teaching. And then because John sometimes had a hard time keeping silent when he probably should have kept silent, he had deeply offended the Roman empress uh, Eudoxia. He would scold her in church. And so finally what Eudoxia does is exiles John, and she exiles him up to a little Armenian town where sickness did break out from time to time. And so there are letters of John that I've read. He's now exiled from his beloved community in Constantinople. And he writes like this to a close friend of his, a woman, a deaconess in the church, Olympias. And he says, I've got headaches all the time, constant vomiting. I, I can't eat. I've got insomnia. It's going on day after day after day for John. Now, the one thing that he kept saying to the church back in Constantinople was this, and I think it applies to us today. He said, don't judge on the basis of appearances. He would preach like this. He would say, you have uh, Herod Antipas and you've got John the Baptist, who is victorious. Herod has John beheaded. John is gone. John is defeated. No, the reality is that John is still heard today. His life still speaks to us today. How many people are writing speeches or preaching sermons about Herod Antipas? Don't judge on the basis of appearances. Now, that's hard. I'm familiar with a number of spiritual disciplines that are about getting more to that space where you can, you can be in that space where you can feel blessed and you can say thanks be to God in those moments. Not just that inward sense of feeling blessed and and being able to have gratitude toward God, but the outward blessing of others who are near you, who can sense the presence of Christ, have Christ ministering through you. But at the same time, I'm kind of a cerebral guy, and I read a lot. I have read a lot of books on spiritual formation, a lot from the Renovare crew. In some ways, there's this broad menu of spiritual disciplines in some ways. For me, it can be in a moment like COVID and in a time, <laughs> in a moment where it's like I have a life change where it is an opportunity to engage in new practices. One of the questions I get stuck on is where do I lean? So let's, let's take a specific example here from friends and from family, new family, and from just people who can come around to celebrate. There's a kind of a, an aspect of loneliness that we're all feeling there. Just in terms of like what you have learned and what the community of, of people who, who are understanding spiritual disciplines better, is it healthier, is it more formative when you're feeling lonely, this is an example, to figure out ways to pursue community, even when it's difficult? Or is it to like lean into the emptiness in a way and figure out ways to figure out, you know, to practice the presence of Christ alone? Where should I be leaning and looking when I'm feeling those feelings? Spiritual formation is deeply relational. 
And that's based, theologically, that's based on relationship and the communion between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To be in relationship, God is to be in relationship with the immensely, intensely personal wonder and beauty. So spiritual formation is deeply relational. What do I lean into? What do I do? In the morning, it's as simple as this. I get up, I wander into the kitchen, make some coffee, I rumble into the living room, I just hang out with God. Now, what do we mean by that? I might use a a Bible app like the Dwell Bible app and listen to scripture. I might use, uh, there's one called the Lectio 365 Bible app, which I found helpful and might listen to prayers and a meditation. No specific agenda of something to get accomplished, more simply leaning in to that presence brought to me by the Spirit that I know the presence of Jesus brought to me by the Spirit and inseparable from the Father, just leaning in. Whether I feel like it or not, whether I sense anything or not, what does that mean? It means I have to get up. I have to make a decision to get up. I have to make a decision to go out there and sit down, to make a number of concrete decisions using my will, to put my mind and body in a place where, in my particular case, this is the place where I feel the Lord speaking to me and ministering to me. Now, that's not all, though, because uh, spiritual formation is deeply relational. Then throughout the day, I have to be taking whatever means that are available to me, like Zoom with my colleagues at Renovare, we're always getting together. We have, we have regular hours of prayer on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays at 3.30 in the afternoon, my time, where we just get together. And on Mondays, we listen to Lectio. And on Tuesdays, it's our Roman Catholic day because one of our colleagues is Catholic, so she leads us in a Catholic liturgy. On Thursdays, it's Thanksgiving Thursday. So what do we do? We practice the discipline of gratitude. Fridays, it's music day. And because we've got a couple of professional musicians on the staff, they'll sing something or share music with us. I think anything can be a spiritual discipline. What's helped me sometimes during those times where you wake up and you think, I don't like this. I want to be able to hold Vinny. It's not right. It's not fair. Or just that sense of frustration, dispiritedness we all can feel. At that point, what's really helped me is I have to concretely remind myself of what God's given me. When I come to the end of of an exercise like that, I do find that my perspective has changed. And then it might go into a pandemic kind of prayer. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What I loved most of all about Israel and why I became a Zionist was because Zionism was a rejection of victimhood. A few weeks ago on CT's The Bulletin, we launched Promised Land, a new podcast about Israel and Palestine in a post-October 7th world. 6.30 a.m., we're, we're in, in, in our synagogue praying, and sirens go off, and they're, and they're going on. Okay. 
based on interviews and conversations captured on the ground in Israel last November. It's an exploration of the spiritual, political, and historical roots of the conflict. When there's a weak Israel, every Jew in the world is weak. And why should uh, a Russian Jew who has nothing to do with this land come, come here? Why? Well, I mean, if you want, you can give them Texas. You love them so much. I am alive because I wasn't, I, I didn't come home. But all my friends that were here were murdered, here, here, over there. This week, Promised Land moves to its own feed. You'll find links in the show notes. So if you haven't heard it yet, you can go catch up and catch the new episodes as they come all in one place. Chris, you've talked about people, community, being a huge place in which our ability to really grow spiritually occurs. Obviously, one element of this pandemic, though, is that our relationships with people are causing a lot of conflict. Can you talk about the ways in which conflict can also help us grow spiritually? What the pandemic does, has done, and is doing, it's magnifying our experience of conflict in sometimes ways that are unexpected. The pressure of a pandemic presses against our personalities in such a way that the cracks in our personality are more likely to appear. More likely to appear because my normal rhythms of life are disrupted. I'm not getting what I normally get when I get it. I'm not able to do what I normally do or what I want to do. It's a recipe to magnify issues that are already there when our needs are, needs are being met in a normal sense, in quotation marks. So how do you navigate when, when the stress does accentuate the conflict? I think you navigate it pretty much the way you would when it's not a pandemic. Well, when we enter into situations of conflict, what do we do? Think the best of the people that we're so tempted to think the worst of. Remember my own inclination toward and disposition toward immense self-deception. To remember my tendency to point my finger at somebody else and saying, you're the problem, when I should be thumping my finger on my own chest. To remember that the heart and core of what Jesus taught is to love God and to love our neighbor. And right now, our neighbors in some way, particularly in, within our families, if we have uh, kids or still grade kids or high school kids at home, we're packed together all the time. I'm called to love my neighbor. I'm called to love my enemies. When I get into situations of conflict, what I try to do, never by any stretch of the imagination to the extent I would desire, to think the best, not the worst of that person I'm in conflict with, to know that what Christ is calling me to is forgiveness. What Christ is calling me to is, Chris, tell the truth about yourself for crying out loud. What role are you, are, have you played in producing this conflict? I'm calling you to love those people well and to forgive them and to ask their forgiveness when you don't want to, when they're driving you crazy. You're saying about that other person, they're absolutely wrong. I'm absolutely right. And I hear the Lord saying to me at that point, uh, Chris, you might want to think that one through again. So Morgan, I think it's just taking some of the principles about forgiveness, love, self-deception, anger, the tendency to point the finger at somebody else and declare them the problem, and take those basic principles and then apply them within a pandemic setting. Yeah, and it's interesting with this turn of making things 
more intense and more difficult with so many things heightened this year in the midst of these really intense circumstances that we're in, Chris, you know, we'll hear from a lot of Christians talking about saying the importance of self-care, the importance of looking after yourself. A similar concept that also comes up a lot of times at the same time is within American culture at large. We have a tendency to talk about this was something that I did that was very hard and now I deserve a reward or I'm going to treat myself to this thing after I've done this other good but semi-sacrificial thing. Where do these attitudes really come from and how have they been challenged during the pandemic that we're in right now? On the one hand, I think it's important to make sure that greatest extent extent possible, we're getting the rest we need. If we have adequate food to be eating well, sleeping well, so on, that kind of self-care. I think we all know that Americans are highly individualistic. And now we find ourselves in a situation What's being extruded to the surface of our lives is a pandemic, is a virus, and the virus doesn't care one whit about American values concerning individualism. It just doesn't care. If we continue to struggle to move beyond that deeply, deeply embedded individualism, as we've seen, we're not going to navigate this well. If there ever was a time when we have to to say no to uh, an independent self, this is the time we have to live a new way. I think the Lord, in some ways, is offering us a different way. It's a more relational way. It's a more a way of living when we say to somebody else, I need you. I can't make this on my own. I'm going to do as much as possible. I'm going to care for you. This virus is not worried about my political philosophy. I'm going to care for you by uh, wearing a mask, for example. Could you talk a little bit about how how that relationality should also kind of coexist at the same time as many people are very like burned out by giving of themselves more relationally and feeling like they do need to kind of, for lack of a better word, practice self-care or look after themselves in those ways? How, do, how does that tension shape out? How can I care well? How can I care well for myself? What would Jesus say? Some of the things like I, I mentioned earlier, just basic stuff that is, is hard during a stressful time. Compassion for myself, being kind. There's a new book that I just read. It's by Cindy Bunch. And she wrote a, a little book called Be Kind to Yourself. So I think there's a kindness that we can show to ourselves where we don't become discouraged because we find that we're not as strong as we might have thought we were or other ways that we might not be navigating the pandemic as well as as we had thought. There's that kind of self-care. Self-care is not an isolated phenomenon, meaning I, I can't take care of myself well apart from the relationships that the Lord has provided me with. What's hard during a pandemic is those relational connections get so strained They're strained in some ways. They're strained because we can't have the contact with people that we want to have. They're strained because we're stressed. And when we're stressed, we have a tendency towards a short temper when the Lord would have us be kind. Issues along those lines. Self-care and making wise choices in terms of how we're navigating each day. When we don't have a lot to do and we're trapped at home, we could probably, I would think, be spending hours before a screen. When we get tired, when we get stressed, for instance, temptation becomes much more heated. 
it's much more easy for, how can I put this? It's much easier for us to lose our mind and end up doing something. And then two or three hours later, we say to ourselves, what in the world just happened? I think issues of patience, kindness, good old-fashioned wisdom, taking things a day at a time, gratitude, compassion for others. There's something that I call, for example, the circle of God's providence. Well, I have my family. How can I care for myself and my family well within that inner circle of God's providence in my life? And then I, I move outward. The next circle would be my church. How can I be engaging with people in my church in such a way, in whatever way I can help them, I do so and allow my, them to help me. Then I have my neighborhood. What's going on in my neighborhood? That means being careful when we're talking to people, having masks on. Does somebody need a meal? Who's discouraged? Who's depressed? What's going on in families and so on? I found that kind of circle of God's providence thinking and practice has been helpful to me. You know, you were saying that you think everything can be a spiritual discipline, which I appreciate. Do you think that there's something that we might discover in this period of, you know, being locked in, being shuttered, being isolated, you know, especially those who are single and, I, you know, those who are married as well, but we might rediscover during this time as something that would bring us our connection to, to God a little bit more? So, so there's something like the discipline of slowing. Because our, in a pandemic, our lives have slowed down because we just can't do a lot of what we're used to doing, which in some ways is a good thing because we can so easily lead lives of constant distraction. So we can slow down. We can look at what's going on each day that's a new normal for me. Some of the new normal is not helpful, but what part of each day, if I slow down and take a look, what's the new normal for me? People are longing to get back to normal, are they not? They're longing to get back to normal. Well, what's the new normal for me? Maybe I'm slowing down more. Maybe I'm more aware of the need for exercise. Maybe I have time for prayer I've never had time for before, a time to learn to be compassionate. What's the part of the new normal that I want to take back into the old normal? What are the aspects of the old normal that were still part of my new normal, but I don't want to take them back? What do I want to embrace and what do I want to discard when all of this finally gets back to some new normality? Thank you, Chris, for sharing your wisdom and your stories with us. It was great to hear you talk about Cyprian. I recorded a podcast called Prayer Med Pandemic at the beginning of this year when the pandemic started and we talked about Cyprian and I really loved hearing his story and was so encouraged also because Cyprian became a Christian very late in his life as well. So I will also plug, if people want to know more about Cyprian, I'll put a link to that particular episode in our show notes for people to listen to as well because he's a great Christian for us to all look up to. For people who have feedback for us or are processing their own COVID, depression, and frustration, angst, send us an email. We are at podcast at christianitoday.com. All right, now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments, when everyone gets to share something that has brought them joy. Ted, would you like to go or should I send it to Chris? I can go. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I, I was able to get together with my board game group that hasn't been able to get together for many, many months. And that brought great joy. There was some, are we being silly or dumb by doing this? But we'll, we'll let that play out. 
but it was, man, there's something about getting together with close friends and playing a game, catching up on life. Trash talking uh, each other. <laughs> Tricking lovely. each other. We do, we know, I'm a pretty competitive guy, but when we play together, there's not a lot of trash talking. There's not a lot of that, like, oh, I'm going to beat you. It is that joy of just playing together. I do definitely get the uh, analysis paralysis and take a long time between turns because I, you know, I try to avoid my my min maxing there. But I, I you know, I, I play to win, but I, I don't tend to get quite that competitive. The game we played, because I like to mention the games we played, is a game called Space Base. Very simple and actually a game that where, you know, it's kind of a middleweight game. So it's not a game where you've invested five hours and then you lose and you feel bummed about it. Fairly quick play game where you've got a whole lot of ships in your space base. They're all connected to dice rolling. Let's say you rolled a, a five and a four. You could either get the reward that you get for the nine or you get the reward for the five and the four. And then you're using that to get money and upgrading your ships. And as you upgrade ships, then you get bonuses when other people roll their dice. Very fun game. It's definitely on the uh, Christmas list, the two-buy list. Really enjoyed it. But really the joy, you know, is the, always the trick when I come home from these things to say, was it a great game or are those just great guys? <laughs> so, you know, I, 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 I never quite know, but I think it was also a great game. I love my friends. So there you go. How about you? Well, I'm just really happy that you got that, Ted. You're really fun to oh, play man, games yeah. with. And I missed that part of our co-working relationship. Yeah. And I am so grateful that I have a family that loves playing games. Otherwise, this would have been a much harder <laughs> How about you, Morgan? I think I told you I stayed up late on TikTok last night and someone was reading or they did a TikTok where they read from this website. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Ted, but it's called The Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. And it's basically... That's new to me. Yes, I will have to send it to you. But he read the definition for a word called sonder. And I thought it was so beautiful. And then I read some other definitions later on, but I thought I would just read you this definition that this guy had read. He did not write it. This is from the dictionary. It said, the realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own, populated with their own ambitions, friends, routines, worries, and inherited craziness. An epic story that continues invisibly around you like an anthill sprawling deep underground with elaborate passageways to thousands of other lives that you'll never know existed, in which you might appear only once as an extra sipping coffee in the background as a blur of traffic passing on the highway, as a lighted window at dusk. I really love just beautiful writing. And this particular yeah. person who read it was like crying while they wrote it because they thought it was so beautiful. But this project of Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows has a lot of these just like very beautifully relationally rich concept and words that I'm sure most of us understand even if we don't have commonplace word for them. So that brought me joy, I guess, just to kind of read through those. And I was sending them to my mom last night and enjoying them. Morgan, yes. do you, did you ever have a moment where that that came up for you, where you were like, there are lots of other people that are living a life and they're not just extras in my story. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you have that? Did you have that moment? In I your have life? that moment whenever I go to a new city, specifically yeah. abroad. And I'm like, like my existence here. There's like nothing like they don't need me to survive. No one misses me. No one registers my me being here. Like I'm so dispensable to this place that I'm in right now. And that's interesting. So maybe it's not exactly that feeling, but it's it's a little bit of that. Just realizing that at least that community is completely fine doing its own thing. Right. Versus a community you're a part of, you know, you feel like you have some integrality. I don't know. You're integral in some ways to it. 
did you have a feeling that you were thinking though? Oh no, I just I I remember kind of having having that moment. It was on a journey to humility basically for me. I was very aware that there were a lot of other people, but yeah, I remember in late adolescence having that moment of saying very similar to you, like, oh yeah, it, <laughs> I'm not necessarily relevant to these people. These, I'm as relevant to these people as they are to me. And like there there's a positive side and a negative side of that. And thinking, oh, and just having my kind of mental image of myself shift in that moment. So Chris, what, what's been a moment of joy for you lately? A moment of joy for me was about a half hour before this podcast. I was sitting at my desk and Tuesdays and Thursdays are days when my 17 or 18 month old granddaughter, we get her for the day. Her name is Stella. She's not yet learned words, but she's now walking around this little person. My door was open and this little person walked in to my office and I said, can I have a kiss? And she walked over and shyly with a little smile on her face, dipped her head and allowed me to kiss the top of her head. Aww. Oh, that's great. And you just can't beat it. <laughs> you just can't beat it. You're on cloud nine. If I could lengthen a moment into a day, that would be it. All right, Chris, where can people find you and more about your ministry and books? You can find out about some of the books I've written and on the Renovare website, R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot org. If you want to send me an email, Chris at Renovari.org. There was a course I taught at Eastern called Foundations of Christian Spirituality. It was a spiritual formation course. And so if you're interested in that course, get to know me a little bit better. It's uh, Foundations of Christian Spirituality. Just type that in at our website. You can find it there. This great editorial team broke these longer classes into 15-minute segments, or you can go just go to YouTube and type in Foundations of Christian Spirituality. Okay, cool. Well, that is it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Quick to Listen. This podcast is produced by myself and Matt Lindor, who Nia Shola does the transcript, and the music is done by Sweeps. Again, if you have, you are also in your feelings regarding COVID and the holidays and you would like to us to talk to us about it, send us an email. We're at podcast at christianitytoday.com. We are also on Twitter at CT Podcasts. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. We're available wherever you get your podcasts, though. So check us out wherever's most convenient. We will see you all next week. Bye. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.